I think probably the six most important areas of our lives that perhaps we have uh, challenges in. So I just want to encourage you to get on board to grab a copy of the book. Um, today we've uh, got a card machine there. Julia's uh, got our one for our book. So you can, you can pay and grab a copy of the book. And just to say with this, uh, this wonderful uh, book that we've got, it's a 50-day uh, devotional. And, um, but you shouldn't start reading it till a week on Monday. And some of you have read it already, haven't you? Yes, indeed. Some of you have already uh, read it. But it doesn't matter. You can read it again. But it's a 50-day devotional for the season of Lent. And um, so today, uh, my message really is just an introductory message to the series. So you uh, life groups are meeting this week to study it. Join a life group if you haven't already and uh, get a copy of the book and then start reading the daily devotional a week on Monday, okay? You don't need to start reading it tomorrow. So I just wanted to uh, drop that in there before we went any um, further. Elijah. Elijah is one of my favourite biblical uh, characters. You're getting ahead of yourself here. Just slow down a little bit. He's one of my favourite characters. And um, if you were to read through um, from sort of 1 Kings 17 to 2 Kings 2, um, you'd you'd see this story of Elijah. It, It would make a Hollywood blockbuster. I mean, it's just unbelievable and I would encourage you if you get a chance to have a read of it this week maybe read a chapter each day and and just look at Elijah's um, story and some of this book that we're we're studying some of this series is based on Elijah's um, life and I thought it'd be a good opportunity this morning to um, to sort of just look at his life a little bit um, the people who are going to be preaching over the next few weeks we're going to have going to be uh, trying out one or two new people as well because we want to create a bigger pool of preachers in our, in our church. But uh, I think they got more notes than I got for today. I hardly got any. Uh, so I thought, right, I'm going to look at Elijah and, um, and see what we can uh, glean from his life. But Elijah lived in incredibly challenging times. And uh, I guess we live in, in, in challenging times today. And um, the glory years of King David, King Solomon had, had long gone. And uh, Israel was a nation that was in spiritual decline. Idolatry was rampant. Baal worship was becoming increasingly popular. And Elijah was called by God to bring a message of repentance in this season of the nation's life to uh, call the king Ahab and uh, Jezebel, his evil wife, to repentance and the wayward people of Israel to repentance. And uh, God wanted them to to reject Baal and and return to him. And so he spent much of his life under threat, um, under threat of royal uh, retribution um, and attack. And he's introduced to us... um, like this, which is an amazing introduction. I mean, he, he just appears in the Bible. There's no sort of backstory. Um, and the, uh, the writer of, uh, of Kings, who a lot of people today actually think it was Jeremiah who wrote it. So that might be something new to you, but uh, records this. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in, Gal- in Gilead, uh, told King Ahab, but surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine today going through all the security and everything and ending up in President Putin's office and saying there is going to be no rain from today until I say so? You'd be dead, wouldn't you? And yet he does it and he just walks in and makes this proclamation that there is going to be no rain and there wasn't any. 
There was a drought. There was a massive famine for three years. And, and probably worse still for King Ahab is, Ahab is that Elijah just disappears into the wilderness. And so he, he mounts this manhunt for, for like three years trying to find this guy who has made this proclamation in front of him. And, and it stopped raining and there's no rain. There's just famine and, and uh, drought. And so Elijah disappears into the wilderness. You read all about it, as I say, and, and he's fed by ravens. I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to spend a couple of years being fed by ravens, to be honest. Um, but the ravens bring him bread and meat, uh, morning and, a ni- and nighttime. And in the meantime, Jezebel, the king's wife, is, is trying to kill all the Lord's prophets. I wonder whether that's sort of a, an act of revenge because of Elijah's proclamation. And Obadiah hides hundred of them. And these are turbulent times. And then the brook dries up and, and God sends Elijah to the uh, widow at Sarapath. And there is this miracle that happens. So Elijah turns up in town and sees this lady, this widow, and says, you know, can you, can you give me a, a glass of water? Um, oh, and by the way, can you, can you just give me a, a slice of your bread? And she says, you know, I've got, I've got nothing left. You know, I've got a bit of flour in this jar and, you know, a, a bit of oil. And if I give you this, then we're going to have nothing to, to, to live on. And Elijah just says to her, look, you know, just do as I'm telling you to do and, and the flour will never run out and the oil will never run out. And this amazing miracle happens in that the, the flour in the jar and the oil in the jar just never runs out. This, Elijah's just an amazing guy. And then Elijah, um, Elijah's staying with this lady and her son and then the sun dies. Remember this story? The, the sun dies and, um, and, and this widow, she's already a widow, her son's died and Elijah prays for the sun and the sun uh, is raised from the dead comes back to life amazing healing miracle and then God says to Elijah go and present yourself to Ahab and go and tell him that um, you know this idolatry has got to stop and uh, and so he goes to Ahab and he confronts him and and it's probably a long story but they they get all the prophets of Baal together, 450 of them. And incidentally, you know, there were 400 prophets of Asherah as well at the same time. So he confronts these 850 godless prophets who, who are into idolatry. And we know the story that, that, that they, uh, they go onto the mountain and, uh, they, and he confronts them and they do two sacrifices. Remember, two, they build two altars, one altar of the Lord and one the, uh, the prophets of Baal build this altar. And, and um, Elijah um, says to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. And then they get these bowls and they put them on the altar. And, and, he, and Elijah says to the people, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? That the prophets of Baal are crying and screaming and cutting themselves and calling down fire, calling to Baal for fire and nothing happens. And then Elijah comes along and builds his altar and puts the bull on it. And he tells the people to, to go and get water. I think it's... Um, uh, three times he told us to get four big jars of water and pour it over this altar. Has it ever occurred to you where the water came from? Anyway, we won't go there on that one. But I mean, they're up a mountain, bear in mind, you know, it's a time of famine and that sort of thing. But anyway, um, they pour this water onto the altar so much that it fills the moat around the altar and then the God of miracles, our God, pours fire on everything and burns everything and, and Elijah has those prophets of Baal killed amazing story isn't it this 
And it's not just a story, it's, it's a real life narrative of what's going on in, in Elijah's uh, life. And if we go to the, um, I think you get a bit behind me on here, go to number three. Christine's never done this before, so um, here I go, no, go back a bit. Yeah, so um, yeah, this is the one I want. So I want us to look at, at this this passage here now and, and just pull something out of this from 1 Kings uh, 18. You might want to look at it in your Bibles or just follow it on screen. Then Elijah said to Ahab, just after this has all happened, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his, his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He he tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Wow, it's an amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story. This this prophet who has proclaimed no rain declares to Ahab the rain's on its way. And then he starts to pray fervently, earnestly, with his head between his knees. And what faith that he says to his servant, you know, go and have a look. And his servant sees this, um, this sort of sign like, a, like the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Amazing. And of course, it starts to rain. James, later, PowerPoint number seven, describes the incident like this. This is in the Passion Version. Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. We've heard a testimony of that today, haven't we? Elijah was a man with human frailties, a man like us, the NIV says, just like all of us, but he prayed and received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land so there'd be no rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and the skies opened over the land so that the rain came again and produced a harvest. I wanted to go through this whole story this morning, partly to to sort of tell the story of Elijah, but I wanted us just to focus for a moment on this. And I guess in some respects, it has nothing to do with well-being, but it has everything to do with well-being. And and it's this, is that we we too can pray like Elijah. We can pray like Elijah in the midst of our human frailties, in the midst of our lack of faith at times and lack of unbelief. We can pray like Elijah. We look at Elijah, don't we? And we see this, this incredible man of God. And yet he had human frailties like us. He was a man like us. And we're going to see those frailties in a few moments. But he, he prayed with earnestness and intensity. He prayed with belief and expectation. Did you notice in the, in the story there, seven times he told his servants, go and have a look for the rain that he knew was coming. He prayed with absolute belief and certainty why because God had told him that rain was coming he knew that rain was coming but within all that there must have been 
seven sessions of intense prayer, of seeking God, of calling out to God. You know, prayer is so important. And I want to say it again, that nothing will benefit you more than your prayer relationship with God. Nothing. Nothing. Have you learned how to pray yet? To pray like this? Have you learned how to pray? Have you learned to prioritise time with Father? This is one of the, the passions of my life, the passions of my ministry, if you like, that it's spending time with God. And I don't spend enough time with God. A busy pastor. But one of the things, this is, this is one of the things that, that when, you, when you feel that sort of that urge, that desire to spend time with God, that is definitely the time to spend time with God to turn the telly off or stop what you're doing and sit in a chair and just talk to him, to spend time with him, to be drawn to him. Yes, there's times to be disciplined and you know, to have our daily times with God. I find early in the morning is the best time for me, but it, it might be a different time for you when the house is quiet or whatever. But then there are other times where we just be drawn to God and spend time with him. And here's the other thing about all this. I just wanted to stop off here for a moment. Have you learned to really pray yet? A great testimony, testimony from Lynn this morning. Have you learned to really pray yet? To pray without ceasing, to pray persistently, to keep praying, to keep praying, to keep praying, to not quit, to keep praying and pray and pray. The old saints used to talk about praying through, praying and praying until something happens, push praying until something happens. I think sometimes our prayer lives are, are so feeble, they're so poor. We sort of say, if it's your will, Lord, God wants us to learn to pray like Elijah and to remember this, that he was a man like us. It's encouraging this morning, isn't it? It's a man like us. Anybody encouraged this morning? A man like us, like you and me. We can pray like him. Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. I don't think many Christians really believe in prayer. If they did, our prayer meetings would be packed. Both before the service and once a month. And we would pray more, wouldn't we? And I think if we can develop our own prayer lives at home, we, we, we would see that prayer works. Let me tell you this, it really works. And we've heard a testimony this morning of prayer really working. Persistent, fervent, passionate I think sometimes we allow the culture to, to bring us down and, and, and change the way we think about things and we don't expect very much and we don't demand very much and, and yet God wants us to be people of prayer, passionate, fervent, believing, expectant that God will act. I'm not sure he responds to the, you know, the occasional prayer in hope you know, in the shower just before we go to work or whatever it is. So Elijah's this man, and I want to encourage you as we just stop off here for a moment. Look what can happen when a person with human frailties just like us prays. Supernatural answers. 
And, uh, you know, I, I, have this, I have this phrase in, in, in my life, I think I sort of, God started to speak to me in, in Newcastle about this, that never settle for second best. I felt God say to me at one point, Simon, never settle for second best. And some of you have got stuff going on in your lives right now that's not God's best for you. It's not God's best for you, not God's best for your children. The healing that needs to occur, the doors need to open, relationships reconciled. And it's, it's, not, it's not God's best for you or for your family. So how do you solve it? Prayer. Prayer. Really praying. Putting a reminder on your phone four or five times a day to pray. That's what I do with mine to pray about certain things that I want to see a breakthrough on. Anyway, we stopped off at prayer a little bit too long, uh, probably, but I, I felt that was so important this morning, so important for somebody here this morning, for someone, for maybe a few of you this morning, where you want to see a breakthrough. It's not going to come about unless you do what Elijah did. How many times? Seven times. He kept praying and praying. Where's the sign? Servant, go and have a look. It's coming. Go and have a look, it's coming. I'm waiting for an email about something at the moment. Every day I'm, I'm checking emails. Where is it? Where is it, Lord? I want this answer. I want this thing resolved. I want this solution. I'm praying and praying and praying. Right, let's keep going. Number eight. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to, to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I think Elijah was having a bit of a pity party, wasn't he? He's having a bit of a poor old me. Anybody else enjoy a good pity party? Yeah. I can see a few hands raised. I, I've had a few pity parties over the years. They're good as long as they don't last too long, aren't they, I find. You don't want to spend days in the pity party, but they're okay at times, you know, that we have these uh, things. And Elijah, they're not actually, but anyway, we do have them, don't we? Um, I've done, I actually wrote a book, it's a good advert for my book actually, called Courage for the Discouraged, and that came out of some pity parties I was having. And God had to speak to me about how, um, you know, how to encourage myself. And David encouraged himself in the Lord, didn't he? And sometimes we've got to drag ourselves out of those times, those, those moments. Uh, I can remember I, I was stood at our window in Birmingham, looking out over the valley, just completely paralysed by discouragement and depression and, and disappointment and and. and despair and all kinds of things and how God had to drag me out of it as an advert for my book available on Amazon, $7.99, $3.99 for the Kindle. Um, but Elijah's having this pity party and um, he's, saying to, he's saying to God, you know, um, I've done all this for you, Lord. You know, and Jezebel's after me and the people haven't repented. I'm no better than my ancestors. This, this giant, this, this man who had stood up to Ahab, who'd stood up to the prophets of Baal, who'd, who'd had the nerve to stand on Mount Carmel and challenge these guys, and who'd had the nerve, can you imagine calling down fire on a mountain in front of the whole, the whole people of Israel? Thousands of people stood there watching him. He stood there on his own saying, God, send fire. This amazing man, the same man who'd prayed for rain and it rained and he just wants to die 
I think he was experiencing a bit of exhaustion, a bit of burnout maybe, fearful certainly. And PowerPoint number nine, just continuing, it says, he lay under a bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Isn't it amazing that when we're at our lowest points that God often draws close or sends a ministering angel to just refresh us and revive us and uh, provide some rest. And the next PowerPoint says he ate and drank and then lay down again. He rested again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. God's good, isn't he? I suspect as we head into this well-being series that the one or two of you who are feeling a bit burnt out and worn out and depleted and maybe, you know, you just need some rest. And there's this wonderful verse in the, in the New Testament, in the message version, Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? These are the words of Jesus. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unformed rhythm, unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Oop, go back. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's what we want to do over these next few weeks in this series. Perhaps your life's a bit out of sync right now. Perhaps you need to relearn or learn those unforced rhythms of grace to learn to live uh, freely and, and lightly. Perhaps at the start of this year, your New Year's resolution was to to get your life back, uh, to sort things out, to, um, to get things right emotionally and physically and spiritually and relationally and financially and vocationally. Well, the good news is this series, Help is at Hand, over these next few weeks. And we're going to really discover God's plan for our well-being. So moving back to Elijah, PowerPoint number 12. There, there he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. Remember, he's gone to Mount Horeb. What are you doing here, Elijah. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord passed by this morning? Well, I think it would be anyway. I, uh, I hear the Lord's passing by in universities across America right now. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord passed by in Banbury right now? Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Twice he was asked that question, wasn't he? What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm sure God knew why he was there. 
in that place. But I think God was saying, how did you get to this stage where you were so exhausted and depleted that you, that you ran from Jezebel in fear? How, how did you get to this point? I think as we'll discover over the next few weeks that he'd, he'd taken his eyes off the Lord. He'd lost his sense of identity and where his security was. He's fearful for his life. And perhaps as well, you know, he was running away from what God had called him to do. Anyone here doing that? Running away from what God's calling you to do? Perhaps this series will help you to get back on track. And once Elijah had fully rested, God had other ideas. And so you have this pyrotechnic um, show and Elijah is recommissioned. We find this in the word of God in, in, in 1 Kings 19. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah, to succeed you as a prophet. And then he goes on to say, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And we see him do that and Elijah's story coming to an end. And of course, Elisha receives his double portion as Elijah is taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. Incredible ministry. Incredible ministry. Like a blockbuster movie, his, his ministry, his lifetime. You can't believe that a man such as this could get burnt out, could you? That he'd, he'd lose his way, that he'd go on the run. You know, all he'd done, the battles he'd fought, the things he'd done on God's behalf, but clearly he'd become depleted at some point and burnt out. Life can become quite overwhelming at times, can't it? It can, can't it? Become quite overwhelming. And although Elijah lived in a different time, different generation, different context, we can certainly learn things from his life, particularly how to stay replenished and live a balanced life. Why? Because God is interested in our well-being, in your well-being and my well-being, our whole well-being. God has a plan for our well-being. And there's a few definitions put up on the screen about well-being, what the, the dictionary says there, what psychology um, today says about uh, well-being and then well-being in the in the bible as well next slide it talks about well-being that, that unless it's a modern translation there aren't really any words that can be translated as well-being um, but they're a hebrew the hebrew word shalom translated as peace it's often associated with the absence of conflict or one's inner serenity inner um, peace and true shalom includes these aspects of peace, uh, but it, it's a much richer word that encompasses wholeness and health and harmony. Shalom means taking joy in being rightly related to God, to others, to oneself and the created world. The word shalom appears over 250 times in the Old Testament. The Greek equivalent, Irene, appears in the New Testament over 90 times. This suggests to me that God has a plan for our well-being, that he wants us to flourish. Mental health statistics um, 
we know there's so much talk about mental health. In a survey for the Mental Health Foundation in 2018, pre-pandemic, uh, they came to these conclusions. 74% of British adults have felt so stressed at some point over the previous year, they felt overwhelmed or unable to cope. 32% of adults said they'd experienced suicidal feelings as a result of stress. 16% of adults said they self-harmed as a result of stress. Shocking statistics. And over 75% of mental health problems occur before the age of 25. This is pre-pandemic. Shocking statistics. But the good news is that God has a plan for our well-being. He has a plan for our well-being. We went to London um, for a couple of days. We got back yesterday and uh, we went to visit our, my little girl, as I call her. She's 28 and a primary school teacher, um, but she'll always be my little girl. And uh, I noticed there was some oil on the, on the side um, in the hallway. And uh, I said to her, have you got a problem with your car with oil? And... Um, and she said, yeah, we, the oil lights come on, the oil warning lights come on. And um, so I said to her, well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll sort that out for you before we leave. So I, I went down to the car yesterday and, and filled up the oil and I checked the water and the water was low as well. My, my daughter and her husband, they're not really into sort of keeping things running effectively. Um, so I, I, I filled it all up for her. Once I worked out how to lift the bonnet on this Seat uh, car, which was, which was quite a challenge, I had to watch a YouTube video in the end to work out how to, because neither my daughter or her husband knew how to open the bonnet on the car. Bear in mind they've had it for three years. That's quite a shocking statistic really, isn't it? Um, but, um, you know, this book talks about the, our levels and, and warning lights and that sort of thing. And um, he mentioned, if you notice in the video, about the, the, the petrol tank in our car and running on empty and that sort of thing. And, and so we're going to look at, um, if we put the next picture up, are these different areas, the physical well-being, uh, the emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, relational, financial, and uh, vocational over the next few weeks. And you know, each of them are interrelated. Um, if there's a decrease in one area, it's going to affect another area. And if we increase things in, in, in one area, it's probably going to have a positive effect on the other areas. And so we're going to be looking at these over the next few weeks. Next week, um, we're looking at um, having a well-being mindset to start with. And then the following six are going to follow um, from that. So I wonder, you know, just as you look at that screen, are there, are there any warning lights coming on to you? Are, you? are you aware of any uh, warning lights that might be there in those uh, areas? I really hope this is going to be so practical for us over these next few weeks. So I want you to imagine as we come to a close, higher levels of physical energy and health. Yes, we definitely want that, don't we? An increased emotional freedom and peace, a heightened sense of spiritual satisfaction in the deepest part of you a deeper I'm really tempted to speak about some of these things a deeper relational connectivity and harmony with others greater financial margin and peace enabling you to live a life of generosity and a stronger sense of vocational motivation and creativity aligned with your God-given purpose and calling that's what we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks and then the final slide, I think. So how do you gain the most from this course? Just want to encourage us again. Get hold of this 
wonderful devotional. It's like a page and a half, two pages to read every day with a Bible verse. It's just great. Um, it will back up everything we're saying on a Sunday and everything we're looking at and the, and the life groups. And travel the journey with other people. Can I encourage you to join a life group? It's going to be very interactive with life groups uh, on different days, different times. Um, I think we've got 10 life groups right now. Um, Rosie is over here on the front row, can direct you to a life group. And maybe you've never been in a life group before. Maybe you're new to church. Why don't you join a life group for these eight weeks and, in, and invest in yourself, um, but connect as well with other people in the church. It's a great place. So, you know, they might have a bit of worship. There, there are um, guides for this series. There are video to watch every week for about 10 minutes, discussion questions, icebreakers, be great no pressure to share or all about your deepest needs and that sort of thing it's just a safe place just to come and meet with other people so travel the journey with other people you'll benefit from it uh, enormously and and don't miss a sunday but if you do our sermons are normally our messages are on the website normally by monday morning and you can uh, listen to them good well thank you for listening shall we stand